good morning, y'all. Hey, I, I am so excited every week uh, when we get to come hang out here uh, at our bridge gatherings. You know, this isn't a church. It's not a church building. But those who gather in the name of Jesus, we are the church. And, and every week I'm just excited to gather with you and worship Jesus and hear from His Word. This week we're going to start a new series out of the book of James, so you can turn there in your Bible if you want to, uh, the first chapter of James. Uh, we're going to try to work through this and journey through this book for the months of June and July. And I'm excited about it. James is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, the Lord has used it in my life a lot. And most of the book of James is about faith and how our faith in Jesus moves us to action. There are some people who follow Jesus that are really passionate about beliefs. Like, I want to believe all the right things. I want to believe everything right. They're, they talk a lot about doctrine and theology and all those things are good and we need right doctrine. We need right theology and we need to believe right things about Jesus. But listen to me, y'all. If what we believe about Jesus does not move us to passionate action, some of our beliefs are wrong. Belief that does not move us to passionate action in the name of Jesus is not correct belief. All right belief always moves us into work for His kingdom. Every time. And so that's kind of the theme of the, of the book of James. It talks a lot about faith, but it talks about faith that can be dead. When we say we believe all the right things, we know all the right things to say, um, but we don't do anything with it. James says that kind of faith is dead faith. It's not real. It's not alive. And at the bridge, I want our faith to be alive. I want our faith to be active. I don't want to just be able to tell people all the right things. I want people to see the life of Jesus being lived out in the things we do as individuals and the things we do as a church. So this book's vital to us. We're going to try to be in it all summer. We might have to change some things around. We may do another baptism service pretty soon. We're going to need to do that. Man, if we have to change our plans because of baptism, that's pretty cool, isn't it? We're excited about those things. Um, also, you better act right today. The ambulance is right outside. I can take you out, throw you in the ambulance. Just like that. Alright, James chapter 1. I want to read the very first verse of James chapter 1. And we'll spend, spend a little bit of time there and then we'll move on. Listen to this verse. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ... To the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Now that may not sound like a weird verse to you, but, but it needs some explanation. We need to understand what's going on in this verse to, to really read the whole book correctly. James says, he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that may not seem weird to you, but the same guy that wrote those words was the younger brother of Jesus Christ, the guy he says he's worshiping. How many kids, help me out a little bit, how many of you have older siblings? Older brothers, sisters, okay. That's cool. How many of you call your older brothers or sisters God? 
negative. Like, I have an older brother, and I've called him a lot of things. God ain't one of them. I don't say, hey, I worship you. I'll do whatever you say. You're my Lord. Like, I'll punch you in the face if you say that to me. I don't call my older brother God. And it wasn't all that way, all the, all the time that way with James. There t- there's times in the gospel where it says Jesus' family came after him and said, hey, you're crazy. Stop saying the things that you're saying. And James was involved in that. Most of the, of the gospels, James is one saying, you're a lunatic, Jesus. Hush, you're embarrassing me. And it's not until Jesus came back to life from the dead that James said, oh, Maybe you are God. There's something about somebody being resurrected. Coming back to life after they've been tortured to death. That kind of convinces you that maybe they are who they say they are. That's the story of James. Younger brother calling his older brother God. That's a testimony of the truth of the gospel. Right there. Then he says... He says to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. He's writing this letter to Jewish people. And, and what's happened is in the book of Acts, there, there's a story about the stoning of Stephen. Stephen's preaching the gospel to people, and the people reject the gospel, and they kill him. And after they kill Stephen, the, the Christians started getting persecuted by everybody. Everybody hated Christians, so they went after them. And the Christians spread out all over the Lord. And the people that, that thought they were killing Christianity were actually sending it out into the world. Dispersed the gospel. All through the Bible, there's times where people experience tragedy. And then later on, they see that it was the plan of God to spread His kingdom to different folks. And that's what's happening here. These people have trusted the Lord Jesus from a Jewish background. And they may be thinking in their mind, man, I I thought when I put my faith in Jesus, everything in my life was going to be fixed. But now I don't even get to live in the house I built anymore. And it's because of this Jesus. They're, They're walking through difficulty. So when we read these words, we need to understand that this is the brother of Jesus calling him Lord and worshiping him. That's writing these words. And also he's writing to people that are walking through very difficult time and he has a word for them. James chapter 1. This morning we're going to read verses 2 through 18. I've titled the message, An Unstoppable Faith. I want us to see two things in these verses that if we understand them correctly, it'll cultivate a faith inside of us that's just incredible and unstoppable. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 18. Here we go. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways." 
Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's a lot of stuff, and, and there's, there's a lot of things we can talk about in those verses, and I'm just going to pull out two this morning and make a couple points and make a couple of applications. There's a lot more we could talk about than what I'm going to talk about this morning. But there's two things that I want you to see. The first thing is that every trial a believer goes through is meant for their endurance and maturity. Every difficult circumstance that you walk through, every single difficult circumstance you walk through is meant from God to give you endurance and maturity from Him. James says something incredible at the very first of these, of these verses. Verse 2, he says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials. Consider it joy when I walk through hard times? Joy? Be happy about it? There's a couple of parentheses statements I want to give you. James is not saying that we should walk up to people that are walking through a difficult time and pat them on the shoulder and say, it's great, isn't it? This is awesome, isn't it? I can tell you're starving. Consider it joy. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's also not saying that, that when we're walking through difficult times, we need to throw on a fake happy face. You know what I'm saying? There's some, there's some folks at church that, man, they throw on this serious happy face and it's like nobody's that happy. You know what I mean? They're like a cheerleader. When you walk in the door, hey, you know, and you're like, bro... If you chant C-H-C-H, what's missing you are, you'll get that in a minute. C-H-C-H, what's missing you? I'm going to be upset. We're not talking about a fake, hey, everything's awesome. That's not what we're talking about. But what we are talking about is that sometimes we misunderstand the difficulty that we're walking through. Sometimes when we're faced with a difficulty, our first thought goes to, why do bad things happen to good people? 
Sometimes our first thought when we walk through a difficulty is, is, is God really good if I can go through this? If he's, if he's letting me go through this? Sometimes our first thoughts when we experience difficulty are wrong thoughts. Anytime we walk through a trial, there is a purpose to it. God is allowing us to, the opportunity to be thrust into the person of who He is and allow us to be made into His character. And that's the point of Christianity. It's not to get better. It's not to go to heaven. It's to experience the person of Jesus and allow Him to shape us into His character. To, make, to know Him and to make Him known. That's the point of Christianity. But sometimes we misinterpret that. And, and I, I, I heard about somebody misinterpreting things the other day. Um, this is a true story. There was a, a lady that was a little older than teenage age. And um, she saw the letters LOL in a, in a message. This true story, y'all. Well, she interpreted those letters as lots of love. Teenagers, tell me what that means. What does LOL mean? Laugh out loud. And she interpreted it as lots of love. Now, that doesn't sound too bad. But same lady who didn't ask what LOL meant started using it. And it was like, heard your puppy died, LOL. On Facebook. No. Don't laugh out loud at the puppy dying. But she was saying lots of love. Heard you were in a car wreck. LOL. <laughs> it's dangerous to misinterpret something when it comes to it. She had misinterpreted what LOL means. And sometimes we misinterpret what's going on when we walk through a difficulty. And we interpret it as, as God's being mean to me, or maybe God's not who he says in his Bible. When, that, when the opposite is true, he's forming us into his image, and he loves us so much that he doesn't protect us from everything. He, he wants us to be formed into his image. The application to this point is to approach every trial with the end in mind. You know, our trials are so diverse. Some of us this morning uh, may be walking through waves of grief, and that's our trial. Some of us may have gotten a bad diagnosis at the doctor, and that's our trial. Some of us may be dealing with a difficult trial, and that's our trial. Some of us may be having trouble, trouble at work, and that's our trial. Our, our trials are so diverse that I can't speak specifically to each one of them, but I can tell you that the purpose is to thrust you into the person of Jesus Christ and to form His character inside of you. And I want to beg you this morning that when you approach a trial, when you're walking through a trial, have the end in mind. I'm not going through this for nothing, but God is allowing this to thrust me into who He is. And to form his character inside me. One thing that we need to understand here is there's, there's a stark difference between 
physical maturity and spiritual maturity. Like, like when we're growing up or when we're raising kids, the point is that as our kids get older as, or as we get older, we become less dependent on other people. Like at some point we start paying our own bills. At some point we stop asking mom for money. That's kind of the point of maturity as we grow physically. But spiritually, the opposite is true. Spiritual maturity is the, is the complete opposite. As we grow spiritually, as we, as we mature spiritually, we understand how deep we need our King. And we don't grow independent of Him, but as we, as we grow more mature, mature, we grow in need of Him. We start saying, man, Jesus, the last time I made a decision without you, I messed that up. I botched that. I need you. Jesus, the the last time I, I walked away from you, I botched it. I need you. Spiritual maturity is about growing more dependent, unlike physical maturity, which is growing more independent. When you face a trial, approach it with the end in mind that Jesus has something for me to learn about his character. And on the other side of this, I'll be more like him than I am right now. Point number two that I want us to see from this passage is is that temptation comes from our own brokenness. Verse 13, look at, look at this again with me. I'll just read a couple of these verses. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and He Himself doesn't tempt anyone. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. You know, when you read that, when I, when, I, when I start thinking about temptation, the first thing that pops in my mind is, is when I'm being tempted, I'm being tempted by the devil. That's what we talk about a lot. And, and a lot of times we blame the devil for the thing that the devil made me do it. You know, you've heard that before. Maybe we blame who we are on, on who our parents were in our life. Maybe we blame who we are on our circumstances. And I'm not going to tell you that circumstances don't play into that. I'm not going to tell you that the enemy does not tempt because both of those are true. But ultimately, the reason we make horrific decisions is because we are messed up. Ultimately, the reason why we get ourselves buried in sin is not because of the devil, and it's not because of of our parents, and it's not because of our siblings, or our spouse, or our children. It's because of us. Most of y'all know my story. I, um, I prayed a prayer to ask Jesus to save me when I was seven years old. And for the next nine years, I would lay in bed at night, awake, trying to go to sleep, but not certain 
that if I died, I would go to heaven. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure that I followed Jesus appropriately. And then I, at the age of 16, I, I released everything and I bowed the knee and, and I gave my life to Jesus. Fully. But, but this is what's important. I want to flesh that out for you a little bit this morning. At the age of seven, when I prayed a prayer, everything I believed about Jesus was right. I, believe he was, I believed he was the son of God, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sin, and on the third day was raised. But at the age of seven, what I believed about Dustin was not right. I thought that, that when I prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to save me, that's what good people do. But when I was 16, I had lived enough life and done enough things that I found out I wasn't good people. And when I asked Jesus to save me when I was 16, I believed correctly about who I was and who Jesus is. And y'all, that is a very, very important part of the gospel that I think we mess up right now. The only reason the gospel is good news is because there is also very bad news. We're broken and there's nothing we can do about it. We're messed up and we cannot save ourselves. Today, I love Jesus. I want you to hear me say I love Jesus, but there's something else you need to understand. I don't love Jesus because that's what good people do. I love Jesus because I know where He found me. And it was in a pit, but it was not a pulpit. I was desperate. I was hopeless. I was wallowing in my sin. There was nothing I could do about it. We're broken. If you trust Jesus because that's what good people do, I think you've missed it a little bit. People who trust Jesus are people that are extraordinarily broken who've come to the end of their rope of hope and they've looked outside themselves for somebody to do something on their behalf. We're messed up. The application to this point is for us to embrace your responsibility and cling to Jesus in your temptation. The only way to to break down the grips of temptation in your life is to first own it. I'm not thinking these things, I'm not doing these things because my parents made me do it or, the, the, or Satan made me do it. I'm, I'm doing these things because I'm broken. I'm jacked up. We'll never love Jesus correctly if we don't understand who we are correctly. The first step in overcoming temptation is to own it. And then look outside yourself to Jesus who can heal you.
as long as we're finagling some means of justification of why we do what we do, we'll never, ever find victory in our temptation. There's an application for this whole message for the bridge. And that application is to continue to intentionally become a family that walks through trials and temptations together. There are tons of applications that I'd like to talk about for the bridge in this passage. But, but I think this is a, a really important one. When a person... When a person is walking through a really difficult trial or a really heavy temptation, we normally have two responses as the church. The first response is we want to fix them. You're walking through this trial, maybe it's a, a wave of grief on a person and we just, we just want to fix it. We want to fix it. We want to jump in there and fix this person. But then there's the second one. If we can't fix them, we kind of back away from them. Maybe their temptation's really big, really ugly. We either want to fix it or we back away from them. We're scared of it. I don't think either one of those responses is what God wants from us. Sometimes Jesus just wants us to grab a brother or a sister by the hand and walk with them. Not, not, be, not be trying to fix them like we're a doctor because, friend, you're broken. Broken folk don't fix people. You can't fix anybody. You have not fixed yourself. Don't try to fix people. But we also don't need to abandon people. When, when what they're going through is bigger than we are. Sometimes we just need to hold their hand and love them and keep pointing them to Jesus. And, and maybe instead of just uh, throwing Bible verses at them, throwing Bible verses at them when, when maybe they're even angry with God, instead of throwing Bible verses at them, maybe we just need to live the Bible with them. Maybe we need to go to them and tell them, man, I know you're going through this. I know I don't know much about this temptation you're walking through. I, don't, I haven't experienced the grief you're walking through. But I want you to know something tomorrow, whether, whether you own this or not, I'm going to walk with you. I'm not going to run away from something that I, I'm not struggling with. I'm, I'm just going to be your friend and I'm going to love you and I'm going to do my best to remove obstacles that are in your way to Jesus who can help you. Church, I want us to be known for people who do not quit on folks. But we become brothers and sisters intentionally. When they're walking through deep temptations or deep trials, we hold their hand. And we don't give up. We walk as family together. Love no matter what. This morning... We're going to celebrate what makes us be able to have this family. We're going to have communion. And in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to go to one of these locations if you want to participate and, 
and grab you a piece of bread and, and, a, and a cup of juice. And what that represents is the broken body. The bread represents the broken body of Jesus. And the juice represents the spilt blood of Jesus. If, if you're not a believer, I want to ask you to not do this. Not, not because you don't belong with us, you belong with us, but honestly, you don't, you don't really understand the power of this thing that we're about to do. Out of love, I would like to ask you to refrain. If you're, if you're from another church, but you follow Jesus, you're welcome to participate with us. Before we do that, I, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what I've just said. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus but today you want to. I want you to understand something that may be missing from your theology is that um, you may not think you're that bad. You may not think you're that bad that you need saving. Maybe you're on the other side of that. Maybe you think you're too bad. God wouldn't want anything to do with you. Today, there's, there's probably two sides of a spectrum in here. There's, there's probably those in here that have done the things that the world calls bad sins. And they're struggling with whether or not they can be accepted by this perfect God who's the Father of lights, never changing, completely holy and separate from sin. And then there's probably people in here that are struggling with self-righteousness and right now in your mind you're thinking, I don't need God pretty good guy. I want you to know that both of those sins, they're on different sides of a spectrum, but they're equally evil. Self-righteousness and religion can walk you so far away from God, you can't recognize Him when He's standing right in front of you. This morning, if, if maybe for the first time ever you've realized that that the things you do and the things that you're a part of that are broken and bad, that they're not blamed on your mom and dad or your circumstances or even Satan, but it's because of you. And because that's the case, you can't be good enough to make it right. You broke it, you can't fix it. But this same God who is the Father of lights, perfectly holy, created everything that we know, came to earth, and was completely perfect. And He took all your guilt and all your shame, everything, everything that you've broken on Himself. And He was found guilty so that you can be found innocent. And he has the authority to wipe away all guilt. Maybe you're realizing that for the first time this morning. That's not a small thing, and, and because it's not a small thing, I, I, if that's you, if you want to give your life to Christ this morning, I, I, don't, I don't want to make it a, a thing that you should be ashamed of. I don't want you to start your walk with Jesus from a point of shame. I want you to start with courage. Because to follow Jesus, it takes courage. 
If you want to give your life to Jesus with everybody looking around, with everybody aware of what you're doing, I want to ask you to stand. You don't, you don't need to do this for the 15th time. You don't need to do this for the 30th time. But if you've never really placed your faith in Jesus and you want to nail that down today, I want to ask you to stand right now. Thank you. If, if that's still the case and you need to come see somebody after, you're, you're welcome to... I, I don't have time off. You're welcome to come see me. Come see the person that you came with. We're going we're gonna to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to do this a little differently. I don't want you to feel weird about this or like you don't, you're the only one that doesn't know what's going on because this is new for everybody here. But what we're going to do, and I want you to have some freedom in this, is to go get the elements, a piece of bread and the juice, and I want you to come back to your seats. And then I want you to experience some freedom. If you want to come back and sit by yourself and pray alone and, and just let this be a time of worship between you and God, that's fine. But listen to me. If you're, if you're walking through a trial, a painful time that you don't know how to process, and you need somebody to pray for you, I want you to reach out to somebody. And y'all take the Lord's Supper together. Let them pray for you. Maybe you're eat up with temptation and, and sometimes it takes courage to stand up and raise your hand and say, man, I'm struggling with some evil junk that's gross. I need you to pray for me. Maybe, maybe you need to find somebody to pray for you over that. Maybe, maybe there's some strife between you and another person in this room that you need to get ironed out and, and you guys need to become family again over the body and bread of Jesus, body and blood of Jesus. Do that this morning. Let me pray for us, then you can go get the elements and come back and have freedom. Father, thank you so much that even though you know exactly who we are, you're, you're not confused by our sin, you're not unaware of our sin. You know everything we've ever done. And somehow, somehow... You've, you've looked at a person like me and said, I want you as my son. God, I don't, I don't understand that, but I'm incredibly thankful for it. Today as we break bread together, Father, I, I pray that we would do this in a, in a reverent nature, but also in a joyful nature. And as we break bread together, I pray that, that we would each understand that there's always more room at your table for people that are not yet. And that next time we do this, I pray we would bring others to your table with us. In Jesus' name, amen.